Welcome to the Do Good Radio Hour with Bluegrass Community Foundation. Here at Bluegrass Community Foundation, we believe doing good inspires good. It's the gift that keeps on giving. The intention behind the show is to encourage you by sharing the undeniable good happening within our community. Tune into the Do Good Radio Hour every Monday at 2 p.m. to hear about the good that is the heartbeat of our community and how you can get more involved. The Do Good Radio Hour is about to enter into a new season starting with this episode because the Good Giving Challenge is finally here. If you don't know what that is, the Good Giving Challenge is an annual week-long online giving event that rallies the community in support of our local nonprofits. And this year, 2021, is the 11th annual Good Giving Challenge, which will kick off on Giving Tuesday, November 30th, and run through Monday, December 6th. This is our biggest year ever with 179 nonprofits who are participating. So we want you to come out and show your support at bggives.org and then mark your calendars for Giving Tuesday so you can get ready to give. So for the next upcoming episodes, we are going to interview several nonprofits who are involved with the Good Giving Challenge and just allow them to share their stories. So stay tuned and continue listening because we have four awesome nonprofits on this episode who are ready to share about the life-changing work that they are doing in our community. Stay tuned. The Salvation Army is doing the most good, as their slogan says. I'm sure many of us have had an interaction or experience at the Salvation Army, so I'm excited to be talking with Major Bill today to learn more about the Central Kentucky area of service. So welcome to the show, Major Bill. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Of course. So tell me more about you and your involvement with the Salvation Army, and even if you can, go into the mission of the Salvation Army and the different programming that you do. Yeah, so, um, you know, Salvation Army, I, I have been a part of this pretty much my whole life. My parents were Salvation Army officers. And what does it mean to be a Salvation Army officer? Well, the Salvation Army, aside from being a nonprofit, is also a church. Um, so I'm an ordained minister in the Salvation Army. We do have church here on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. And um, the rest of the Salvation Army really flows out of that. Now, not everybody who works here is a member of the church. Um, Anybody who, you know, anybody who wants to be part of this could be part of this. And, and obviously we have people volunteering all year, uh, you know, bell ringers, uh, we have people coming in to help out with uh, many of the programs we have here in Lexington. Lexington is very unique uh, with the Salvation Army in that we have uh, not just a, a very large shelter for women and children, but we also have a boys and girls club, which provides after school programs during the school year and uh, day camp during the summer. And then we also have an early learning center, which uh, covers children from about six weeks old right up through pre-K. And um, so, you know, all those services on, on one site, aside from our uh, clothing and food center, uh, it's, it's a very unique combination. And yet it's great to be in a community that uh, is so excited about supporting uh, these services. So. Can you give us just some perspective on where maybe your buildings are? You're, you said you have housing where where is that so we're all right down here at 736 west main street um so we have the hangar lodge when you when you pull into the parking lot you'll see the hangar lodge and right next to a smaller building the way house and uh those two buildings have our women's and children's shelter programs uh, we also have a couple of uh, separate apartments that can be used uh, lexington has a really great support system 
uh, for people in, in crisis as far as housing. But uh, sometimes you find a situation where either it's very late at night or, um, you know, there's another situation that's come up that has some specific requirements. And so we always have those available. That might be for a single, uh, a single father with children. Uh, that sometimes is for a married couple. Um, obviously, there's only a couple of rooms, but those are, those are also available. So that is, that is the uh, Hangar Lodge and Way House, which can house uh, over 200 women and children on any particular day. It's 24 hours a day um, because obviously a lot of people coming in are working, uh, are, are doing things that, that need to get their lives together and need a stable base. And if you've got kids, especially, you can't just be out during the day. Um, but then we also have the Early Learning Center, which is part of our, our main building, uh, also at 736 West Main Street. And uh, there you have um, some of the some of the kids who come in are, you know, their parents are, are they're, they're staying over at the lodge, but we also have uh, low income families. We have some staff members who, who uh, have kids in the, in, the, in the ELC as well. And then the Boys and Girls Club, uh, you know, we service some of the schools closest to us, but also kids from some other spots. And uh, once again, you see you see a wide variety of families that are uh, taking advantage of those services. Yeah, so as I said before, I feel like many of us and those listening have had an experience with the Salvation Army, but I was wondering if there was something you want people to know about the everyday inner workings of the organization that people might not know. Right, so I mean, I do find out that everybody knows the Salvation Army differently. Uh, some know it as, you know, like the store over on New Circle Road, uh, which you know, people usually call here when they when uh, they have questions about the store, and uh, you know, it's interesting. It's the way the Salvation Army, large scale, is structured. We actually don't oversee the store on New Circle Road. Um, that's run from our Adult Rehabilitation Center in Cincinnati. Um, so you'll find that so they oversee not just our store, but stores all over uh, this section of Kentucky and. Uh, South and Southwest Ohio, um, but we do have our we do have our clothing and food uh, distribution center right here on the campus as well. Um, but yeah, we we are here and we have we serve a lot of people. Like I said, uh, I think the thing that usually surprises people the most is when they find out uh, that there's so many people living right here, um, and that we're able to to keep doing that day after day. And then on top of that, when we get to the extremely cold or extremely hot weather, uh, we also serve as a cooling and, and heating center so that uh, we might have uh, more individuals staying here during those particularly cold nights or particularly hot nights. Yeah, this I was looking at your website earlier and the Salvation Army is so interconnected with the community in so many different ways. And why is this organization important to our community it's so connected to it and why is it an asset to it I, I think part of it has to do with the history of the place um there have been just over i mean you know i would love to say hey i take credit for this but i've been here for two <laughs> two and a half years um but uh there have been so many amazing people both within the salvation army and our volunteers our advisory board uh, other people in the community who take a look at what the salvation army does and can do and uh, you know, make the investments and make the connections. Uh, but we also happen to have, you know, Lexington's a very special community to begin with. Um, as a Salvation Army officer, um, I move around. I move around the uh, eastern part of the country, 
and see different places. And the amount of interconnectedness and investment in the community here in Lexington is uh, something that people should really be proud of. Uh, the fact that you know there's a there's a real concern for homelessness and not just a we should do something but a real financial investment that happens uh, the fact that there are so many opportunities for different agencies to get together and to talk and to really work together to make sure that um, while there's overlap there's there's not duplication of services uh, so that people you know people who find themselves in a time of need um, and anybody can find themselves in a time of need uh, usually people don't expect to be in a position where they're coming into, you know, the hangar lodge, uh, they, they would say, I never expected to be here. Um, but it's good to know that uh, these things are in place in our community so that people feel uh, safe. And at the same time, people also feel like their community really cares. That's right. So in your time at the Salvation Army, and this question I've said in every interview, I know it's so difficult, but do you have a particular story that you could share with us that helps kind of show the mission of the Salvation Army? Okay. Um, I think about one particular family who was here not too long, who came in not too long after we moved here, and um, some kids in the ELC, and some of the kids who were older in the uh, Boys and Girls Club, and, and a mom who was just really trying uh, to get things together. And she had a plan, but obviously people need time as well. Uh, you can find a job, but if you don't have any place to stay, and we know that housing is difficult for everybody in Lexington, uh, if you don't have a place to stay, that causes other crises. That causes crises for your health care, for, you know, addresses to use for your children, for, you know, how do, you know, where am I going when I'm not working? The Hangar Lodge allowed her to come in and, and make a plan and know that her kids were going to be cared for during the day, that the younger ones, she would be able to go to work and that her kids would be safe and, uh, you know, that they would have an opportunity for some learning. So when they got to school age, they would be ready for school. And uh, the older kids, when they came home from school, they were able to uh, they were able to have a place to go until mom got home from work. And during the summertime, uh, you know, all day long, just the, just the fun they had and, and the learning they got to do as well as the recreation and friend building. And, uh, you know, she eventually got to the point where she was able to move in, you know, move out permanently and find herself in a home and from time to time still stops by. And it's just great to see, uh, you know, when somebody's gotten to the other side where they've, they've worked through the plan, they've gotten the support, and they know that, uh, you know, it, it changes your life. It changes your life because you know you're not by yourself. You're not unseen. Um, the struggle is not something you have to suffer alone, but it's something where other people will be there for you. And I think that gives people a little something extra, even when they, even when they leave something like the hangar lodge, just to know that, you know, life is different than, than maybe what they expected. And people are a lot better and kinder uh, than what maybe they thought. Oh, I love that concept. People are a lot better and kinder than most people think. And I feel like the Salvation Army is such a great example of that. And I also love what you said about helping people get to the other side. You know, oftentimes when we're in a situation, you know, that maybe isn't the best or the most ideal or what we didn't expect, it's hard to see that other side. And Salvation Army steps in and is like, no, we're going to help you get to the other side. And that's so awesome. And so my next question leads right into it is, you know, you all are providing all these amazing services, life-changing services, and 
you are participating in the Good Giving Challenge, which is quickly approaching and the reason for this episode and me interviewing you today. So just to give our listeners something to think about, why should people give to the Salvation Army during the Good Giving Challenge? It's a hard thing to do. I mean, people want to give, but they also want to know that what they're giving to is, uh, is something enduring. And, um, you know, I think the Salvation Army One has been around a good long time here in Lexington. And uh, it's, it's not hard to find people who have been impacted by it. Uh, either they've come through one of the programs, uh, maybe as a college student, they volunteered some hours here. Maybe it was over at the Hangar Lodge overnight. Um, maybe they've done a Thanksgiving dinner or a Christmas dinner and, and serve food to, you know, six, seven, eight hundred people. Uh, maybe they've, they've rung a bell, whatever it is they've done that people have seen uh, that this is a, this is a rallying point and it's, it, it, it makes enduring impact. Um, you know, last year during, during uh, the school shutdowns and, and COVID happening, and we know that uh, unfortunately for, for many people, they were unable to find things like, you know, Wi-Fi access and things like that, or somebody to make sure the kids were, were getting through their lessons. And uh, we had to pivot to, changing our boys and girls after school program to full day learning pots and keeping with all the COVID protocols, which, you know, we're constantly having alterations, um, but we're able to keep those, keep that going, keep kids safe, make sure that not only was there Wi-Fi access for them, but that there was breakfast and lunch and a dinner that they could take home when, you know, when mom or dad came to pick them up, um, that there was recreation time, that there was socialization, that there was someone in the room to actually tutor and help them work on things when maybe uh, they weren't quite grasping the concepts. Uh, and, and, you know, also some kids who just really don't uh, socialize as easily, and especially if they were just starting school. Yes, and I've loved everything you said here at the end about having an enduring impact. And that's truly, I mean, obviously the Salvation Army is so has so much history or rich history and having that here in Lexington is so special. So Major Bill, thank you for sharing your story with us. The last thing I need from you is just a shout out where people can learn more about the Salvation Army and how to get involved. Well, you can go to SalvationArmyLex.org. That'll take you right to our website. Um, and don't forget that our bell ringing season is starting soon. So if you, you and your family, you and your club, your team, your office, uh, want to volunteer for some bell ringing hours, get out, see your neighbors and uh, raise money for a, uh, a really great cause. Uh, give us a call at 859-252-7706 and we'll put you through to Mr. Kevin Sparks. We'll get you signed up for Christmas uh, bell ringing. But uh, we also have our Christmas dinner that will be coming up as well. And we're looking for people to volunteer with that. We'd love to, we'd love to see you here. And, uh, you know, it's great to get out even on Christmas Day for a couple hours and uh, really serve others. It's, it's a great family bonding experience. And it's great sometimes for just people who feel really alone and, uh, you know, find a family uh, away from home there at the Christmas dinner. That's so great. those are some great ways to get through. Awesome. Well, thank you, Major Bill, for your insight into the Salvation Army world. And we hope our listeners will check you out on bggives.org. Thank you so much. The Do Good Radio Hour is excited to invite Wafa, the founder and director of education at Sphinx Academy. And she's here to share more about Sphinx Academy and why it is such an asset to our community. So welcome and tell me more about Sphinx Academy and your mission. 
you. Uh, Sphinx Academy is a micro school, so it is, um, it's, it's very tiny. So we uh, serve eighth graders through 12th graders, um, and in all, we usually try to keep it under 45 students. Um, we mainly serve uh, gifted students and twice exceptional students, uh, which basically means they are gifted or high ability in, in one thing and have um, some sort of learning difference or another issue that keeps them from uh, thriving in a traditional setting, um, like depression or anxiety. Um, and so uh, our mission is to serve these students specifically uh, by providing um, individualized curriculum, a flexible schedule, and a mentoring program so that someone works with them individually on their uh, plans because every one of them is quite unique. Um, this, is a, uh, this is a demographic that is not quite well served. There are very, very few places in the whole of the US that serve specifically twice exceptional students. Um, there are many gifted and talented programs uh, but at the same time, twice exceptional students or gifted and talented students who suffer or struggle with um, things like anxiety or depression find it very difficult to stay in these programs. Um, so this is specifically who we serve in our mission. Great. Yeah. I'm just curious. Do you have a building? Where are you located in Lexington? So right now we are in Suite 100 and 101 in uh, a, a, a larger strip that has a veterinary and um, other other things going on. Um, uh, it's on Winchester, Winchester Road, um, right where it meets New Circle Road, where the DMV used to be. Okay, great. So I saw on your website the phrase education reimagined, which I'm sure shapes a lot of your programming and classes and things like that. So explain the different types of programs or classes maybe that Sinks Academy offers and how you've seen that impact your students. So um, we are accredited and so we meet all the graduation requirements. It's the difference is how we meet them. And um, so we there are three very important elements to our program. Number one um, is the mentoring program. So every student is assigned a mentor that works with them one-on-one, um, -on -one that meets with them at least once a week and works on a specific plan. The other, uh, the other two elements go together and they are the idea of um, experiential learning. So we try to have curricula that are connected to real life and to hands-on activity. Um, and at the same time, we try to focus our classroom meetings on those hands-on activities. And that leads to our third element, which is um, self-directed learning time. And that's the time where students have uh, blocks of time to work um, individually, either on their own or with a teacher or with another student. And that way there's more flexibility if they need to accelerate or if they need to slow down or if they need to have specific accommodations. Um, the other thing too is regardless of what, what um, curriculum or what course we're teaching, there's always differentiation. 
So um, the way that we design the curriculum and the curricula that we that we use um, always have the option of modifying or accommodating the student. So let's say you, it's an English class and you have to write an essay. A teacher can modify that essay to be about something they're interested in or to accommodate them by giving them an outline or by giving them um, steps toward the final product if they need that or if they have a learning difference that requires that. Um, at the same time, the working with a mentor and working through those self-directed learning time with their mentor, with their teachers, it really helps us to get to know them and to build that rapport for a student who is really able um, and is really gifted but have has something like social anxiety or depression and it's difficult for them to initiate work it's really important to have somebody they can trust and that they and in a place that they feel safe in so that they can move forward yeah this is such a unique concept which is interesting for me and I know our listeners as well to learn about. And here at BGCF, we're all about stories. We love to tell stories. So tell me a story from your time at Sphinx Academy that helps paint a picture of kind of what you're talking about and why your mission is so important. Well, the reason why I started Sphinx Academy was because of my son. Um, my son was, um, interestingly enough, when he was in kindergarten, his teachers thought he was, um, he must be special education because he can't, you know, he needs to, he needs to be held back because he cannot, um, you know, color between the lines and he can't uh, follow directions. And then when he got tested, turns out he could read and I didn't even know he could read. Um, and he was also diagnosed with ADHD. And it was a very long road from that point in time trying to find the right school enough that I, I was actually, I, I graduated from medical school. I passed the US medical licensure exam. I was actually heading for um, a medical residency when I decided he was about in fourth grade at that time to go back to school. So I went back, got a degree in special education and I got trained in Montessori, but at all levels of Montessori, including secondary Montessori. And and at that point, I wasn't really heading for a school. I just mostly wanted to understand what a kid like that needs because he was high ability and he had ADHD and he was on the spectrum. He was so capable, but at the same time, testing wise, he was capable. Like he was two or three grades ahead of his, um, of his actual grade, but at the same time, he couldn't function in his own grade in a traditional setting. Um, and so it took quite a while to reach that point where I homeschooled, he went to different schools, uh, different models. Finally, when he was in seventh grade, we actually sat together and kind of talked about what would be the perfect school. And the big thing was having someone that is there for you personally having a small school or a small number in the class 
having a curriculum that allows for flexibility and allows for acceleration or slowing down and um, and having time to pursue your own interests. And so long story short, <laughs> I opened the school when Yusuf was going into eighth grade and Yusuf right now is graduating from the Savannah College for create for uh, art and design. Yeah, and I can tell you that there was a time and he will, I think he will approve of me, of, of me saying that there was a time when we weren't sure he was going to going to graduate high school, but he did. He graduated with a, a, a close to a 4.0 average. He graduated with honors. He was, um, he was on the student council at Sphinx Academy. And when he went to SCAD, he had a scholarship. Otherwise we wouldn't have been able to send him there. And so he had a scholarship um, and uh, he had a portfolio. Again, the, the organizational skills, the executive function that would be required of students to prepare for such a thing um, needs an environment that will really teach them how to do that. Um, and since then, I have many examples. One student I remember came to us in eighth grade and was failing all his classes from the school from, he, from where he was before. And right now, um, he's doing a mathematics degree in a very, um, in a very competitive program. So we do have a lot of stories. I, <laughs> I'm just comfortable saying my own, but uh, by the way, my oldest uh, has also graduated from center this year. She also came here four years uh, at Sphinx. And um, we have um, 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 at least two merit scholars. Our kids go to GSA, but it, the stories, Every school can say our kids go to GSA and they have merit scholars, but these are kids that never thought they could, if that makes sense. Um, they would have been, it, it, it would have been much easier where, we, where they were to focus solely on their weaknesses, on their needs, on what they can't do. And the idea of Sphinx is to focus on the strengths, um, build those strengths, and still, obviously, we want to, to make sure that they can get through things like organization and study skills and smart goals and all of that, and we work on that during the self-directed learning time. But these things will not happen unless the kids feel like they're also they also have time to work on what they're, what they love, what they're, uh, you know, what they're good at, what they're passionate about. So yeah. I think that's mostly what we focus on. It sounds like you're really creating a unique opportunity to create an atmosphere that's not necessarily very prevalent in our um, school system right now. You're creating such an opportunity. It's really, really cool to hear about. I, coming yeah. in this interview, I didn't really know much about this, so I'm very treat so I'm so glad yeah this episode of the do good radio hour is all about of course the good giving challenge which we are so excited and it's approaching quickly so it's here before we know it and I'm going to ask you this simply kind of complex question actually why should people give to you 
through the Good Giving Challenge. So we are a small school, so we have and a private school. We don't have any funds beside the tuition, basically, that the kids give us. Um, generally speaking, it's harder for us to get funding because we're so small. Um, generally, um, it, uh, I guess the biggest decisions that we have to make is how to use that budget. Our dream is to be able to offer scholarships. We have so many students that could really use um, this environment, that could really benefit from this environment, but they don't have the means to pay the tuition. And we unfortunately do not have the means to, to say, okay, you don't have to, or to provide that kind of support. Uh, we're too small and we're too new, I think. Um, just this year, I feel like there were three students who I was heartbroken to say no to. Um, but we already really struggled to keep our tuition relatively low. Um, it is when you when you compare it to you know other private schools in Lexington, uh, it's relatively low, and we try not to increase it. You know, most schools increase their tuition every year. We try not to do that, you know, uh, as you know, as, as long as we can keep up with it. Um, but generally speaking, that's what we would really love to do is to have this opportunity open for kids who may not be able to afford it. Yeah, I want to leave the last minute of this kind of up to you to tell our listeners any last things that you want to tell them about Sphinx Academy and just how they can get more involved. Um, so we actually love to um, partner with other people in the community. And so, for example, well, Newton's Attic is already on the on the list for you probably have, uh, uh, you know, talked to them already, but we partner with them, for example, to provide unique opportunities for our kids. Um, we love to partner with people from the community, uh, whether it is, you know, if you have a skill or a workshop or something you'd love to, or you'd like to share with the kids. We had one, um, for example, um, one person came and shared the story of his grandfather. He had all the stuff from World War One, I, I think, which was really unique for the kids. They had like the little slip that said they were, they have to report, they had like all kinds of uh, stuff like that. We had, um, we have uh, published writers come in and work with the kids and, um, and uh, answer their questions. And maybe we had one wonderful writer, um, uh, Whitney Collins, she's a published writer. She wrote a book and she came in and talked to the kids about magical realism. And so we would love to have more people involved, um, whether by sharing skills or but just by, you know, just by being here and being with the kids, that would be lovely too. And that's a great example of kind of what the Good Giving Challenge, I feel like, could also do. It's a donation yes. platform, of course. Your time can be a quite a valuable donation as well, yeah, for sure. Yeah, to connect people and organizations together. 
Absolutely. So, thank you for sharing about the impactful organization that is Sphinx Academy. And I encourage everyone listening to go research them and the many other amazing organizations at bgives.org. Actually, one more thing. Can you shout out your website just so people can look you up? Absolutely. It's www.sphinxacademy.org. And that's S-P-H-I-N-X academy.org. Awesome. Thank you again. All right. Thank you so much. It was lovely. Next up on the show, we are excited to invite Lindsay Burke to share more about Micah Legal and the work they are doing to better our community. So, hey, Lindsay, welcome. Hi, welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. So tell the listeners about you and your role at Micah Legal and more about your mission. Okay. Well, I am the managing attorney and founder of Micah Legal. Um, Micah Legal has been in existence for about five years now, and our mission is to make Lexington a more peaceful, safe, and prosperous place by making sure that people have access to justice. So what that means to us is that we offer legal services with fees based on a sliding scale, so nobody ever feels like they have to go to court alone. And I know there, this next question, there's many, many answers to, I'm sure. But in your opinion, since you are the founder, what do you think is Michael Legal's greatest impact on the community? Well, um, there really are a lot of answers, but I've been thinking about that question a lot. And I think that the way that we make the biggest impact on the community is through our partnerships with other nonprofits. We work with Greenhouse 17 and The Nest. And when we work with those organizations, we help their clients with family law issues. So perhaps they've gone to one of those organizations because they're experiencing domestic violence. Well, after they've received their protective order, then those organizations will refer them to us so we can handle child custody cases or divorces, whatever the family needs to regain stability. Then we have partnerships with um, hospice, bluegrass care navigators. And when hospice calls, they're typically asking us to come make powers of attorney for people who need something like that in order to get out of the hospital, to check into a nursing home, or resolve some end-of-life issues that were really um, concerning to them. Then we also work with St. James Place. And at St. James Place, which if you don't know it, is a a low-income housing facility. Um, At St. James Place, we partner with them to make estate plans. And a lot of people who live at St. James Place say, well, I don't need an estate plan. I don't have an estate. But the first thing that we do is try and help them understand that everybody has a future. And so let's think about this as future planning. How can we make the future successful for your family? You know, when somebody passes away, it's a very stressful event. And if we can put some things into place before you're gone, That takes a lot of the burden away from your family as they try and deal with your loss. So the great thing about our partnerships is that we're uh, we're providing an important service, but we know that those clients are getting wraparound services. So when they're coming from the nest, we know that they're in groups. We know that they're getting counseling. And as a former social worker, I know that holistic services are much, much better than a la carte services. And so it's really great to be able to work with those other community partners who we respect so much 
to add just another layer of support to the people who are receiving our services. Yeah, and what you just said is so incredibly important and is not spoken about a lot. I feel like it's partnerships and different organizations and nonprofits across our community coming together and creating that full experience of, of help and serving. And I think that's such a, what did you say, an a la carte service? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I've never heard that before. And it's so beneficial to have different organizations who offer different things working together. That's really Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So I'm just curious, what is a typical day for you? A typical day-to-day -day work scene? <laughs> well, um, in any given day, we're working with anywhere from five to 10 different clients. So Micah Legal has three attorneys on staff. And each one of us is managing a caseload of anywhere from 40 to 60 active cases. So when we get here in the morning, the first thing we're going to do is find out who's contacted us overnight and make sure we follow up with any emergencies from overnight. Then throughout the day, we'll work on creating documents for court. We'll talk to our clients about settlement agreements or whatever is on their mind. Uh, and we'll probably spend at least an hour negotiating with other attorneys or pro se litigants and um, that's somebody who's representing themselves. So we'll talk to those people on the phone, try and help um, our clients come to a peaceable resolution. One of the ways we try and help them save money on their legal fees is by helping them to recognize when is the time to fight and when is the time to try and agree because not every disagreement between two parents or um, former, you know, married partners, not all of those things are worth fighting about. And so we really try and help people recognize when is the time to fight and when's the time to come to an agreement. So throughout the day, we may do Zoom court. Um, that's a much more common thing now than it ever was before. And um, work with our clients to resolve their issues. Yeah, I've often seen in your marketing, which I think you said before, the phrase making access to justice affordable for everyone. And mm -hmm. this has to be a very rewarding to be a part of, you know, so I know this is hard, but can you tell me maybe a particular rewarding story about how you've seen this come to life throughout your time at Michael Legal? Mm -hmm. Well, just this year, I had the privilege of entering into serving a second generation of a family. So I originally started with mom and mom's child. Um, there was a dispute between the two parents. Um, the child wanted to live with mom, but she was ordered to live with dad. We spent several years working on that and it sort of naturally resolved um, as the child became older. But then that child had a baby and then I became involved in the custody case relating to the baby. And um, sadly, that baby was abandoned and we needed to get emergency custody orders into place so that there was a family member who was ready to care for that child. And we were able to do that uh, quickly and effectively because I had that previous relationship with the mother and now grandmother. Um, that's one example of the type of case that we do. Um, we do a ton of domestic violence related divorces. And so one of the most powerful stories that we have from that, um, 
there was a couple who met in a big city. Uh, they were in opposite gangs. So the first time that he and she met, he shot her. That was how they met. And then he came and helped her. He rendered her aid and helped her not to bleed out. He called 911 after he shot her. But then those two decided to get married. <laughs> I have no idea why you marry somebody who shot you, but that's what happened. She ended up marrying this gentleman. And they had four kids. And unfortunately, he was just as violent throughout the rest of the relationship as he was at the beginning. And by the time she decided she needed a divorce, this gentleman was involved in a lot of criminal activities here in Lexington. And he was busy evading the police so that he wouldn't get arrested for his criminal activities. So that made it really hard for us to get him served for a divorce because he was actively trying to hide out from the police. And so one of the first ways you get someone served is by sending a police officer, a sheriff to the door. So we had no door where we could send this um, summons. We found out that he was sleeping inside of a Kroger store. Now this was pre-COVID when um, they were open 24 hours a day and they had that little lounge next to Starbucks. And this guy would come in at like three in the morning and sleep for a few hours in the Kroger and then leave. And we were eventually able to get him served by the sheriff department there in the Kroger store. And when she was finally divorced, she came to my office and she cried for probably a whole hour uh, because she was so relieved that her children were finally safe, that she was finally safe. Uh, we were able to get three-year protective orders for her and then have them extended. And that family is, incredibly impressive for a lot of reasons. They've done a lot of good things since then. And the kids are really succeeding. The mom is really succeeding. And now they're doing great things for their community too. Um, eventually the mom came back and asked me for help with getting guardianship of a child that wasn't hers because she just had this heart for this child and um, there was nobody else who wanted to take care of him. And so we worked another case together. Um, but what is really amazing to me is that after I've walked through these difficulties, um, or one of our attorneys has walked through these difficulties with any family, when they turn back at the end of their road and look at us and say, if you hadn't been there, I don't know how we ever would have made it. You know, that's something that needed to happen for the longest time. But until we met you, we had no way to make this change. And so it's extremely rewarding. Um, it makes all the hard days easy when we think back about these clients who say, oh my gosh, if you hadn't come to my life when you did, I just don't even know if I'd be here today. So those are the kinds of stories that um, we're really proud of here because we know that we're making a difference and we're valued by the people we serve because they come back to us and they bring their families back to us. And that's just really humbling and rewarding. Wow, just hearing those stories makes me just think about how much is going on in our community and how much of a need there is and how an organization like this is stepping up and filling in those gaps. And it's just so, like you are literally doing life-changing work, like the stories that you just told. And so that is, first of all, thank you and amazing. So thank you. Great. And that leads me perfectly into the next question, which I think you've 
done a very good job already explaining this, but something big is coming up, obviously, the Good Giving Challenge. The reason why I'm talking with you today, and Michael Eagle is a participant, and we are super excited, but, you know, just hearing those stories, if you could continue on, why should people give to Michael Eagle through a Good Giving Challenge? Well, thank you. Uh, good Giving Challenge is our biggest fundraiser of the year. The fees that we charge our clients go as low as $15 an hour. And more than half of our clients pay $15 an hour for our services. And even though we have a very tight budget and we're very conservative in our spending, we need to earn $75 an hour to break even. And so every time we spend one hour with a client who's paying that lowest rate, we need to fundraise $60 to keep it going. The Good Giving Challenge is an amazing opportunity for us because we're able to mobilize a lot of donors, lots of people who don't know us and are just getting to know us through the Good Giving Challenge. And that's one of the reasons it's such a great privilege to participate. So last year we were successful in raising about $15,000 through Good Giving. Um, that was our biggest year so far, and we're hopeful that we'll be able to grow this year uh, because we've brought in another attorney. So last year we were two attorneys strong, and this year we're three attorneys strong. But the reason that it's important for you to give to the Good Giving Challenge for Micah Legal is because if you want your community to be safe and peaceful, and if you want for people to have the same experience of living in Kentucky as you do, then access to justice is ex extremely important uh, because the people who don't have access to attorneys are not living in the same America you and I are. They can't get out of bad relationships. They can't have peace of mind from estate planning. They can't get rid of their criminal backgrounds through expungement. And the court system is what makes America great in so many ways. And we need to make sure that everyone has equal access to the court system so that if there's something that's not right, it can be made right. And so we're really excited to be part of the Good Giving Challenge, and we really hope that people will see how important it is um, to give to us during this time. Wow, that was a great pitch. You convinced me, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I like to give the last part of this interview just to have you say anything you would like the listeners to know before we go. What is one last thing you want to leave people with? Well, um, I've mentioned it earlier, but our partnerships, I think, are extremely valuable. And so when you give to Micah Legal, you're also strengthening programs at many of our community partners. Uh, and I've mentioned them before, but Bluegrass Care Navigators, The Nest, Greenhouse 17, St. James Place, Voices of Hope. Um, these are all of our partners. And by giving to us, you're making sure that all of their clients are served better as well. And so it's almost like doubling the value of your money because when you give to Micah Legal, you're really impacting a lot of organizations and a lot of members of our community. So if you want to see safe, healthy families uh, free from violence, if you want communities to be free from violence, then you need to make sure that it's possible for people to get an attorney when they need it. And Michael Legal is ready to fill that gap. Yes. So, Lindsay, thank you for sharing your story at BGCF. We love to tell stories and telling people stories, and you did a great job doing that for Michael Legal. So, one more thing before we go can you shout out where people can find out more about you, your social media, your website, your anything like that? 
Yeah, we have a website. It's www.micalegal.org. That's M-I-C-A-H-L-E-G-A-L.org. And then we also have social media on Facebook. So that's Micah Legal uh, on Facebook, M-I-C-A-H-L-E-G-A-L. Awesome. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it, Caitlin. The Do Good Radio Hour is pleased to speak with Amanda Patrick, the chair of the board at LexCare. They are locals helping locals, and I love that phrase. And she's here to tell us more about what goes on at LexCare. So hello, Amanda, and welcome. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Of course. So LexCare is such a unique organization, and I'm sure our listeners want to know what it is and what it's all about. So tell us more about it and your mission and how that's played out through your programming. Sure. Um, LexCare is a program that has been around since the early 80s. Um, and its main objective is to provide financial assistance um, in one of three ways to help um, clients in, uh, in Central Kentucky, really, um, to meet a financial need when they um, face an unexpected situation. We do financial assistance up to $500 every five years. Um, we also provide diapers for um, young mothers and families that uh, might be in need. That's a program that you can get, um, you can access once a month. And then we also provide bus passes for Lextran here in um, Fayette County. You, uh, we can do four a year, so one a quarter um, for our clients. Um, we rely solely on donor, private donors. Um, we do. We were lucky enough a couple of years ago to get an, an endowment that should help us stay um, nonprofit, helping others um, arena for for quite some time. Um, we're locals helping locals. It's all entirely volunteer based. Um, we don't have any overhead because we don't have any kind of office equipment. We don't have office space. The only thing we pay for are insurance policies um, for the board members. But other than that, every other penny that we uh, raise in funds goes back to the community. Yeah, great. So I was looking at your website earlier this morning and I saw you have a whole section on how we help. I think that was the title of it, which I mm-hmm. really love that because I was like, wow, they're really just like, we help and this is how. So mm-hmm. why is Lex Care an important asset to our community? How do you help? LexCare is kind of of unique in the sense that when we provide financial assistance, for example, um, we tend to have a much higher maximum payout to our clients. And we help with some things that other agencies don't help with, like car repairs, um, medical bills, things of that nature. Um, And really, since the pandemic hit, we actually raised our limits slightly um, for what we can do. Um, so we have um, a little bit more flexibility in that regard, um, trying to help get the community through the hardest thing that we've faced probably in most of our lifetimes. Um, we do rides for folks that need to get to social um, services appointments, to therapy appointments, to job interviews, things like that. And uh, the diapers program, I don't know of another program like that that exists in town. We partnered with the Family Care Center. So they just call and ask to speak to somebody managing the diaper program. 
and they can once a month get um, enough divers to get them through at least a week. Um, and we keep all kinds of sizes. When we get low on diapers, we do a diaper drive. Um, we've done one at the Lexington Senior Center and that was very successful. Um, and sometimes we do buy diapers as well. We have that, that opportunity um, with some of the donations that come in. So every bit of it, we push back into the community in one way or the other, because without the community, LexCare wouldn't be here. But uh, it's, it's our small way of, of trying to support and be part of a community in Lexington um, that has so much to offer, but, but folks sometimes run up against hard times and we wanna be there to help as we can. Yeah, so you said that you don't have any overhead or no building. So if people need assistance from you all, how do they find you? Do they just call? Is there a way? How do they, how can people know that you're there? Absolutely, that's a good question. Um, on the website, there are a couple of options. Um, you For the financial assistance piece, we do partner with social workers and agencies in town. Um, there's a small membership fee that they pay in order to make financial um, assistance appointments. And we kind of count on the social workers that refer these folks to, to get all of the information that we need um, so that when it comes before the board, we can approve it very quickly and, and get that money out to the client as quick as we can. Um, there's a way to apply to be a board member. You can do it individually or, or not a board member, I'm sorry, an agency partner. Um, you can do it either um, as an individual or you can do it as an agency. Um, and the, the membership application as well as the fees are on the website. Um, as far as diapers go, you can um, get a referral through a social worker or you can do it yourself. You can just call and we'll give you what, what we've got to get you through a week um, based on the size that you need. And then the bus passes, they do go through a social worker or an agent similar to that, but you don't have to be a referring agency partner to do that. And, you know, here at BGCF, which you've already been kind of doing, but we love to tell stories and hear real life examples of impact. Absolutely. I'm curious if there was a story from your time at LexCare that really helped showcase the work you do and the impact it has. There is, there's one case that stands out in my mind. There was a, a young single father, actually, um, who had a baby that was about a year old, and he had just bought a home. He was doing everything that for the baby. Everything was going great until the new home um, got a leak. So when his water bill came, it was hundreds of dollars. And, you know, living as a single father on a budget, it just wasn't in his ability to pay that entire bill. So LexCare stepped up and paid the bill um, and this allowed him to get through to the next month to be able to budget a little differently so that he could afford a plumber to come in and do the work. Um, and, and we followed up with him and we've kind of followed his case and um, the leak got clean. The leak was, um, was fixed. The baby's almost two years old now. Everything is going great for him. He was in such a unique situation and that he was a single father. We don't see as many single fathers as we do single mothers. Um, and that's probably why it stuck out so predominantly, but um, he is doing well, baby is doing well. There've been no more leaks, no more unexpected um, bills that were astronomical for his budget. So that's, that's probably the story that I've carried with me and that makes me um, feel proud of the work that we do at Legs Care. So you have told us, you know, stories and the work that you do that's actually helping people. 
and the Good Giving Challenge, obviously, which is coming up before we know it, is all about mm -hmm. showcasing organizations that are helping people and helping our community. So I'm going to ask you the simple yet very hard question at the same time. Why should people give to you through the Good Giving Challenge? That's a good question. There are, are lots of agencies that are participating that are worthy of donations. Um, and, and LexCare, in my opinion, is one of those agencies. Um, without donors, we don't have the funds to help the people that we help. Um, and, and like I said, and you mentioned as well, we don't have overhead um, except for a few um, administrative fees like an insurance policy um, for board members. So all of everything else that we do come goes back into the community. And uh, I think that we have the ability to carry on but for years to come, but we do have to have the support of the community to be able to give back and to remain locals helping locals um, so that the money can get back into the community at large and um, help support the, the people here in Lexington and in surrounding counties as well um, to live the best lives that they can. Um, we've had older adults that have been referred, veterans. Um, we don't discriminate as far as age, race, religion, anything like that. All we see are people that need our help and, and we rise to that occasion. Um, but we do have to have donors to do that. Um, we don't pay salaries. We don't pay grant writing fees. We don't pay any of those things. So we are able to turn it all around and give it back to the community, invest in, in where we live and, and um, the people that, that need the most help. Yes. Yes. So I want to make sure you say everything you want to say about your organization. So is there anything, last question you want to leave our listeners with? Um, I've been on the LexCare board probably for about four years now. For about two years of it, I have been the, the chairperson of this agency, and um, I just think that what we have is special. I think that what we do is special. Um, there are agencies that provide financial assistance, and, and we couldn't make it without them. Our clients couldn't make it without them, but um, LexCare is just special and unique because we can do a little bit more. We have a higher limit. We, we don't have the restrictions of being the last payer source. We don't have the restrictions of, you know, $100 per, per year or anything like that. Um, so we can help with the bigger bills that some agencies pass over or aren't able to assist with. Um, and, and I think that, that having everyone that's involved be a volunteer makes it even more special because we're there because we want to be there we attend the meetings because we we love the agency that we we um, volunteer with and we just want to see it continue to be successful not for our gain but for the the community and, and the people that need our help yeah that was great so very last question this time i promise shout out okay. to social media website anywhere people can find you and how to get involved Absolutely. Um, our website is lexcare.org. You can go there and get all of the information um, about our agency, how to become a, a partner with our agency, and how to make referrals to the to LexCare. Um, we also have a Facebook page that, that is linked there, um, lexcare.org. Um, just search us and, and you'll find us there um, on Facebook. 
Well, great. That's the place people can find you. That's all that matters. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Amanda, thank you for informing us about the amazing work LexCare is doing, and we hope our listeners go and check out everything you talked about. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. That is it. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you were encouraged by the stories of good happening right here in our community. I definitely know that I am. Make sure you tune in next Monday at 2 p.m. for more good stories and the next installment of the Do Good Radio Hour.